a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 81 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.StarWarsReport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on your own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the kick in the rebellion's pants, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, what's up, my Paula Deans? Oh, wait. Nope, nope. <laughs> Probably a little bit too soon for that. Better not say that the Imperial Security Bureau, I mean the NSA, might be listening. You gotta wait thirty years before you can say that. that, that... <laughs> exactly. It's like in that uh, uh, in that that apocalyptic that you know the world is falling apart game, The Last of Us. There's a there's a great pun where they they're the the girl just stops sometimes in the middle of the action and she'll read puns out of this book. And one of them is a uh, people are making apocalypse jokes like there's no tomorrow. Too soon. Like, that's it. That's what it is right there. Sometimes the humor just, you got to wait. Nice. I'm hearing good things about that game. Our our Cub Scout pack, we do an annual haunted house, and someone had brought that up as how creepy it can be at times. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing some good stuff, man. Yeah, which, again, it just gives me me hope for what a Star Wars third-person shooter type game like Star Wars 1313 could be if handled by the right group and if that ever gets back off the ground again and hopefully yeah. isn't about Boba Fett. But I, I could see it. I mean, really, I mean, there's no reason why not. Real quick, uh, uh, we just went to Barnes & Nobles the other day and I managed to score Jaina a plush X-Wing. <laughs> I was like, look at this. I'm like, this is an actual plush X-Wing. And it didn't look ghetto-like. It looked pretty cool. <laughs> nice. I think that's the kind of thing that uh, Leia might have needed in the story that we're looking at this time around because it probably would have handled a uh, damage much, much better. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on again. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. That's the point. This episode, we explore the ongoing series, Star Wars Volume 2, In the Shadow of Yavin. Consider this your spoiler warning beyond just the sense of all ages, because here we go. Now, as becoming our new custom, we have another quick spoiler-free moment here before we jump into the Death Star style spoilers that you guys are uh, accustomed to. So, Nathan, what say you? Well, uh, there's a couple things about this that that kind of stand out to me. One is the hype, and I think we can deal with the hype without being spoilerish. Um, this was probably the single most hyped Star Wars comic ever. And I'm talking about even including the launch of the Marvel run and the launch of Dark Horse having the license with Dark Empire. I mean, this was an incredibly hyped up comic. They're like, look, it's Star Wars by Brian Wood. 
comic readers were like, wow, Brian Wood. And Star Wars readers were like, who the hell is Brian Wood? Um, it was Brian Wood and Carlos de Anda. Um, Wood, known for his work outside of Star Wars, Carlos de Anda the same thing. De Anda having sort of more of an almost manga-style uh, leaning to his artwork. Uh, we'll talk more about that as we go through here. Um, but it was a big deal. And this was the one where they announced that they were going to launch it uh, to take place after the events of the Battle of Yavin and make it something where it's as if nothing else has happened since. And it was meant to mean that nothing else continuity-wise has happened in the sense that it's just too early for other stuff to be affecting things. It came off much more like they were going to say, just screw everything around it. And we'll find that the approach actually was kind of in the middle uh, on that because they did have some continuity things that kind of uh, raised some red flags. But among the hype, and I did find myself sucked into this, was a an absolute barrage of alternate covers for this thing to the point of absolute absurdity, especially through dynamic forces. When this first came out, there was a newsstand version, which is the kind that you just buy in like a Barnes & Noble or something, and there was a direct market version sold through comic shops. And the direct market version had a little uh, code inside where you could go and get the digital copy for free. Or you could also just go to the Dark Horse app and buy the digital copy of it. They did that for the first three issues. They're all digital. The free stuff was only in the first three. But alongside that, we had a special variant for Hastings stores, which is a very different type of artwork. Then they announced a limited to 3,000 comics run of special GameStop exclusive variant versions of this, where you've got a new cover, and it's got the little GameStop logo on it. Uh, the only way to get it was not to go to GameStop, but to spend enough money at GameStop as a Power Up Rewards member to build up 9,900, I believe it was 20 points, which is a lot of spending, and use that then to purchase the comic through their website while supplies lasted. They are now sold out of them. Um, I wound up getting a couple of them and selling one of them to uh, a friend. Uh, but it's one of these things where... It caused a lot of consternation because it was so difficult to get at the time. Because if you weren't a Power Up Rewards member or you didn't shop at GameStop, you were simply pretty much screwed except for something like eBay. Yeah, then there were, there were multiple printings. First one sold out, they did a second printing. Here's the same cover art um, with no uh, title on it, no number on it. It's just the virgin artwork, as they call it. Then they came out with a third printing. Well, let's have the virgin artwork and just a big blue Star Wars symbol. Now a fourth printing. Same thing as it make the Star Wars symbol red. Amidst all of this, they also announce a sketch cover, one of the few covers I didn't pick up. I picked up all the ones I mentioned previously, but uh, no sketch cover for me. And then came Dynamic Forces. Sketch covers, you had to have like 30 or however many that your comic shop bought to even have them get one in stock. Those are going for 100 or 200 bucks right now on eBay at this point. Dynamic Forces, which is the company that a lot of times puts out special variants or special signed editions of comics, uh, which is kind of one of the bigger companies out there doing that, put out some Alex Ross, who did the cover art, Alex Ross signed editions of this comic. And this is where things got ridiculous, because they put out 600 that were signed by Alex Ross in black ink with a certificate of authenticity with it. Very cool, kind of difficult to find that things are running for about 100, 150 bucks at this point on eBay. But then they also put out a separate pair of runs that were extra limited editions. One of them had him sign in silver instead of black. 
they limited it to 25 and made a bundle of money off of it. Then they did another one where he signed in gold, made only 10 of them, and made those available for, again, an inflated price tag. There is one of those currently on eBay. Uh, it is number four out of those 10, okay? It is, it's one of these ones where they put up a starting price, essentially, like a buy it now price, but it's a that or best offer. So if you make an offer and they're willing to accept it, it might be for lower. But the asking price on eBay of this right now is $749.99. Why? Shit. Because he signed it in gold instead of black or silver. Um, yeah, is this like 24 karat gold? I mean, apparently shit. so. Uh, uh, you, you can wear it around your neck and uh, be welcome to a Kanye West party. Um, <laughs> I got my Star Wars bling. It just blows my mind, though. And this is along with them talking about, and I'm not sure if they've ever done it because I haven't actually seen one of these. I ignored the Dynamic Forces stuff the more ridiculous they got. But they were planning on or have done ones also for the second and third printings. I mean, it got to be utterly ridiculous. And you had counterfeiters out there because there was a guy on eBay trying to sell a limited-to-4,000-run signed Alex Ross copy that really wasn't a legitimate copy. Um, there, were, there were signing events all over. I actually got a copy for about 100 bucks um, that was signed by Brian Wood and Carlos de Anda that was just signed in person at this big signing event, the, one of the launch parties. And those started going on eBay like crazy. So this was an incredibly hyped issue, and Dark Horse just ate it up. And so did uh, eBay... The, the fandom on eBay, so did Dynamic Forces. So for something that was super hyped up and had a lot of controversy surrounding it continuity-wise, we expected something to either crash and burn and destroy continuity, which it didn't, albeit having some issues, or something that absolutely knocked it out of the park. The, the hopes for this series were way, way, way up there or way, way, way down there. It was a Phantom Menace type of moment. What we got... Instead, is a story that really didn't need to exist. A story with pretty cool, new, very dynamic artwork, but a story that doesn't quite get much of anywhere, and a final issue, to be honest with you, that absolutely just drops the ball. Uh, if we walked into this comic series thinking, it's Star Wars number one, Star Wars volume two, it's Brian Wood, let's get ready to rumble! Then by the time we got to the last issue, it was like they were sitting back there, having finished them and sending them out to the stores going, let's get ready to fumble, because the last issue completely falls apart. Um, this is not what it was meant to be, and for all the hype, it should have been much better. Put it this way, we're introduced to a new Imperial villain, uh, Colonel Bircher. Colonel what Bircher? Oh, well, he's such a big major character, we're not going to give him a first name. That's the kind of series we're dealing with here. Great potential, great artwork, but no, it did not live up to the hype at all. Yeah, I, I, artwork, that, that's the key for me. This artwork on this has been just glorious. I mean, granted, there are times where the characters don't look like themselves, especially issue one. You know, Luke kind of looks more like Tycho Clichu. Uh, Han kind of looks out of character. They say some out of character things at moments, but for the most part, though, the art has made it where I'm able to forgive that. The ending is very tough to swallow. Don't really care for how that gets to. We'll get more into that. But I want to point out, though, the issue I have is semantic wise. You know, I mean, the whole 
throwing continuity out the window. They really fumbled the ball with that as well. I, I really think they went out of their way to kind of tick off EU fans or, or stir the pot, if you will. Like, the, I don't know. And my, my point of view on that is, you know, you're publishing, you're, you're into advertising. Why do you go out of your way to say things that are going to irritate half your fan base purposely? You know that if you say something like that about continuity, that it's going to drive half the fans nuts, and you did not have to. And that's the part that really irks me. The other side of it is the whole ongoing Star Wars. Uh, uh, hello, Dark Times, which is Republic, which was Star Wars, which was Dark Horse's first Star Wars run. That's still going. They're getting credit for it being over 108 ep- uh, issues. What the hell is up with that? I, I, that's also confusing. Why would you have two of the same lines out there, but but Convolute won by changing its name so many times that we don't realize that it's still Star Wars. Boggles my mind there again. I mean, granted, it's just that hype, uh, that bringing in the new casual reader. And I get irritated with that. I'm all for bringing in new readers. It's what I like doing. I like having new points of view. But I don't like doing it at the sake of everyone else. Ah, frack everything that came before. We just want you new folks. You guys, I'll come in here. We got a new ride for you. But, you know, when it comes to other works, like, say, that uh, Rebellion and Empire uh, Razor's Edge, I wouldn't mind them taking that approach with that. But when it came to this, there were some things in there where I was like, I don't know. You know, I mean, we see Leia doing some stuff in the next wing. Pretty cool. But it raises some questions. Uh, I don't know. It'll be fun to get into this more as we go. But for you that want to be spoiler free, I would say it's worth grabbing and checking out. Don't be expecting a really cool, powerful ending though. Uh, this is going to be something that hopefully will grow and continue to build from there. And if you are going to pick it up, bear in mind that when you pick this up as the collected edition, the trade paperback, you'll not just get issues one through six, which is in the shadow of Yavin. You'll also get the story from the free comic book day comic, uh, which is entitled the assassination of Darth Vader, Also by Brian Wood, uh, but with another artist involved. Oh, interesting. And with that said, if you want to stay unspoiled, here's your jump. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Nathan, you care to preface where we're at in the timeline here? That was a bit of a mystery uh, for a bit here. The first issue, theoretically, pins it all down. The first issue says uh, the Rebel Alliance, a small, almost insignificant collection of galactic citizens who have chosen to rise up and fight the Emperor. Two months ago, they destroyed the Death Star, a battle station, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, Luke... When referring to all the deaths recently, including the Battle of Yavin, or at least it seems like he was trying to include the Battle of Yavin, uh, refers to how many funerals have you attended in just this last month? Okay, so was it one month or two months after Yavin? Uh, it is two months after Yavin, according to Leland Chi. There are also other issues that arise, however. We see the second Death Star under construction at Endor. That kind of makes sense with what we've seen before about them putting it together fairly early on, uh, uh, that it wasn't something that lasted nearly as long as the construction of the first Death Star. Okay, fine. But with it is a Super Star Destroyer, which we are led to believe, although granted it, I don't think it's been confirmed, is supposed to be the Executor, which is not supposed to be active yet. It's supposed to be being built at Fondor up until about six months after Yavin because the first major 
situation in which it sees action completed is the events of the newspaper strips during the evacuation of Yavin 4, which is another issue because at one point Wedge refers to them barely having gotten off of Yavin alive, which begs the question, how are they all off of Yavin four months before it's supposed to happen? I asked Leland Chi about this. His answer essentially was that, yes, it's all two months after. The rest of the stuff is sort of open to interpretation, sort of leaving it up to where the series goes to determine what those references actually mean, it would seem. But it is either hitting up against previous continuity with the executor and the whole issue of the timing of the evacuation of Yavin 4 and all that, or it's not and everything else is fine. Um, from a where-do-you-slide-this-in type of perspective, uh, there's a story in the Marvel series called Dark Lord's Gambit in which uh, Vader learns the name Skywalker. Not Luke Skywalker, just Skywalker. In Vader's quest, which is two months afterwards also, uh, in Vader's quest, he learns that the name is Luke Skywalker, not just Skywalker. And that kind of is their way of merging those two stories together, the Marvel and the Dark Horse versions of how does he find out who the pilot was. Um, well, this has Vader knowing the name Skywalker, but not Luke. It's also two months after, so apparently this is sliding in right before Vader's quest. Is that still going to be the case, given the fact that the story tends to, uh, seems like it takes at least a couple of weeks based on something said in one of the later issues? Is Vader quest going to stay where it is? That's kind of up in the air. So continuity-wise, there are some issues that may be in play chronologically, but it's really kind of left to future arcs to, to lock down whether those issues really are issues or not. For now, I'm willing to step back and sort of give it some space to, to see where it goes, ready to pounce if necessary. So basically all that advertising of we're not going to worry about continuity could, as every Star Wars project, bite them in the butt. Nice. It's possible, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think for me, one of my issues when it came to issue one was Han Solo. I mean, it, it seemed like, you know, you're reading Scoundrels and he's so worried about Jabba the Hutt. And then you get to this part where he's like, well, what about Jabba? We're part of the rebellion now. Jabba's a backwater gangster with more death marks than we even we have. Let him try something. I mean, uh, I don't know. That just it did not fit well with the Han Solo I was envisioning at that moment. Uh, but. Again, I, I just I keep forgiving all the, the negatives of this series because of the art. It's just so glorious. I really love the art. Yeah, first issue starts out with kind of our first shock, which is Wedge and Luke and Leia on an X-Wing scouting mission, looking for a new planet as their base, which is something we also see in the Marvel series, including Leia flying in a starfighter. Leia as a starfighter pilot is not new. Leia as an ace star pilot that's as good as anyone else, yeah. That's kind of new. Um, yeah. But they're faced immediately by the arrival of a Star Destroyer and TIE Fighters. TIE, like regular TIE Fighters, TIE LNs, and TIE Interceptors, which in theory is okay right now. Uh, they refer to them being a new type that one of the pilots actually who joins Leia's squadron brought the first information on. So it kind of makes sense to have the TIE Interceptors in there, maybe. Um well, and from the one scene, it really only looks like the leader's got a TIE Interceptor. Yeah, it, it starts out with essentially just like like one TIE Interceptor, and then later on we find tons and tons and tons of them evolved. Uh, Leia winds up having her ship damaged. She crashes, or, or 
has to do an emergency landing. There's a crashed TIE fighter nearby. She finds the, uh, the TIE pilot exiting the ship. Before he can get to her, she pulls out her rifle and blasts him. It's sort of Leia kicking butt. Uh, they wind up having to find a way off of the planet. They repair Leia's ship, uh, Leia's X-Wing just enough to get them out of there. They take off and make it back to home one, where Han and Chewie have just left on a special secret mission for the Alliance, where they're supposed to go buy weapons on Coruscant, but they make the reference to the idea that uh, uh, with the winnings or with the reward from the Alliance and all the stuff they've been through, they're sort of becoming like a credit union for the Alliance. I guess because they're carrying the money and acting as an intermediary, though I'm not sure if that's the right terminology for it, uh, for him to use. Uh, but it seems a little odd given the fact that he's not supposed to have his reward anymore at this point. Uh, so you got to wonder how that phrasing is supposed to fit in with stuff like being jumped by Crimson Jack. Uh, back on Home 1, though, once Leia returns, uh, Mon Mothma brings up an interesting problem. It looks like the Imperials know where they're going before they go there and are able to get the jump on them. And in order to seek out this spy and still try to find a new home base, Mamothma gives Leia her own squadron, eventually Grey Squadron, uh, a shadow well, council. When he gives her command, that's that was what I liked the most. It's like, this is like her promotion, her big promotion. <laughs> and she's, she's given her own squadron. She is given command of it. She is allowed to pick anybody she wants for it. Uh, C-3PO is given all kinds of new uh, security protocols to be able to act as an aide for her. Um, you know Luke's going to be part of it. There's a question, who else is she going to grab to be part of this? And while that shakeup is going on and the whole, you know, who's the spy going to be type of thing is going on, we also have Vader having a shakeup with Palpatine. Uh, the Emperor basically orders him to leave the Devastator and put it under the command of Colonel Bircher, who, again, never gets a first name um, or much characterization. And Vader sees him as a rival, but Vader is going to be sent to oversee the Death Star, the construction of the Death Star 2, at least for... A little while. It has a great exchange. It's very reminiscent of Empire Strikes Back. You know, Vader on his knees, the hologram of Palpatine. Uh, uh, Palpatine actually says, I think it's probably the most practical way that we hear Palpatine speak in much of Star Wars. In fact, it reminds me more of something you would hear uh, in a congressional hearing in which he says, you know, I do not need to be reminded of Tarkin, just as you do not need a reminder that it was your failure to stop a single snub fighter not to blow up the Death Star, but that set the Empire back trillions of credits and nearly two decades of work. Oops, it's all about, you know, the Benjamins, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so <laughs> it, it's, Bottom line, you found up, Lord Vader. Exactly. And the last thing we see with Vader is him looking out into space and thinking and muttering the name Skywalker. Um, as, as he's sort of thinking about, you know, this enemy out there who at this point he only has a last name for. The first issue set up some interesting concepts, I guess, but it did throw people for a loop. The idea of Leia leading a squadron, uh, the idea of Vader not in charge of the Devastator, but the art carries it in a lot of ways. The art of Vader as he walks up to meet Bircher for the first time, uh, the art of the initial appearance of the Imperial Star Destroyer and the TIE Fighters. It is a very well-drawn issue, but it's one that it set up a lot of promise, that the series winds up not being able to fulfill by that sixth issue. Oh, absolutely. That that's right there. They they banked a lot, and the ending did not fulfill. 
you know, there's such great imagery, though, in this first issue. There's a moment where Luke, uh, at the beginning, where he's in the cockpit and his lightsaber's, like, sitting up, and it's from a down-by-his-feet point of view. You see the lightsaber in him. Uh, when they come in and they br- uh, enter home one, their uh, crew on the ground running about and stuff. Look, really cool detail. But I love how Leia, she's wearing at the beginning an all-white jumpsuit, and at the end it's all black, and they're like, good guys wear black, next. But there's a moment when she's about to uh, report in, and she hands off one of the technicians her helmet, and she's like, uh, sorry, she got banged up a bit out there. Do what you can. He's like, sure thing, princess, as she walks out of view. Report to Mon Mothma. You can wear your cute little flight suit, but you'll never be one of us. And then Luke walks up. That's right. She downed a TIE interceptor and on foot on an alien world fought the pilot. She's not like us. She's better. Tougher. Oh, yes, of course, Flight Officer Skywalker. I I mean, I like the fact that, you know, Luke puts the guy in his place and the fact that, you know, the Rebellion people are commenting about it because, you know, it it is a little off-putting because... You know, yes, she has been in an X-Wing before, but you're not expecting her to be the, the, you know, Sith-kicking pilot of death, doom, and destruction that you see later. At this point, they work it well. She still seems kind of green enough. Wedge is kind of explaining things to her. Luke's kind of explaining things to her. It works. You know, it's not too bad. Uh, I know a lot of people had issue with Vader and the way his mask and stuff was drawn. I, I didn't mind it. I, I, you know, I've seen other people do similar. So I, I found him fun and imposing. I liked when he uh, lost command of the ship and he turns back to the uh, captain. And he's like, the captain's like, Lord Vader, I'm glad I found you. I understand you were informed. I'd be assuming command of the ship. And Vader leans into his face. I do not know what you think you are gaining here, Colonel Britcher. But I can tell you it is nothing. Enjoy your ship and your command, but when you fail, there will be no place for you to hide. So I like the fact that that Bircher gets the Star Destroyer. <laughs> it's like, and so immediately that like adds some rivalry there. Getting to the aspect of the rivalry is basically just Palpatine messing with Vader. You know, what I mean, he did the same with Shizor. He's done it with other people, and he's continuing to do it now with with Colonel Bircher. So it's interesting. Granted, the whole where Skywalker come from in, in the name there, it, it is a little off-putting if you don't know where it's coming from. Is it the Force? Is it him just using the name like a foul word? Skywalker. I don't. I mean, I don't know. It, it works. But the last scene with Leia when she comes into Luke and she's like, "Got a minute?" You're like, "Ooh, where are we gonna go next?" Because she's all wearing the black outfit, and you know, I can't help it. Like Johnny Cash, I'm a fan for black. I think it probably would have been more shocking if she had come in and said, got a minute, and the, the flight suit was like half unbuttoned down the front. <laughs> um, no, I do, th- I do like the fact that they are, you know, kind of mouthing off about Leia. I think that sort of gives you a sense of what the rank and file might have thought about the high and mighty princess. I do find it funny that Luke is the one saying, yeah, she took him out uh, on the ground. You know, he's, he's referring to her being better than them because she was able to take on a TIE fighter, then on the ground go up against the pilot and kill him. It's funny, I seem to recall that somewhere before, oh yeah, that was Luke during the the UK story the day after the Death Star doing basically the same thing, only the pilot winds up living and winds up being Coral from the Young Jedi Knights stuff. But surely that was a whole new scenario. Um, I also do find it interesting uh, with Colonel Bircher uh, at least it's Bircher, not Bertha, because it would have been funny for him to be like, you know, he's the colonel who's out there saying, I want to see Palpatine's birth certificate. I don't believe he was truly born on Naboo. 
or <laughs> something like that. There are rumors that he had a Sith involved. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that would be good. That brings us into issue number two that picks up with Han and Chewie leaving Home One. Uh, they are pursued by Slave One. Boba Fett is after them because there is a bounty out for the Millennium Falcon. Now, as they are taking off, you know, we kind of cut away from them for a little bit. We see some more training of Luke and Wedge and Leia and this new squadron that she's in the process of putting together. We briefly jump to the Devastator, where we find out that Bercher wants things to be spick and span and, and much better run than when Vader was in charge, and he even gets a new aide, uh, Ensign Lona, L-L-O-N-A. Don't worry, she doesn't need a first name either. Um, we then jump back and finally get to meet Leia's new team. And this is where I think some of the issues that I have with this arc uh, start to, to plague me here. But she has a, an, an unusual group all acting kind of off the books. They include the uh, Trandoshan Rus Kal Kin. Uh, they include the Chawakton named Prithi. She was supposed to be an adept, so she is somewhat attuned to the Force, and that will become an issue in this series. Uh, we have Falback Cord, who is supposedly the guy who brought the uh, information about the TIE Interceptors. We have Tess Alder from Corellia, which is funny because the first three who are introduced get a lot of detail to them, and then she's just like, Tess Alder from Corellia. Moving on to the next pilot. Don't give us any details about her other than that she's from Corellia, as if that says it all. Uh, there's a Twi'lek named Ardana Sin, and then we have uh, Graham Cortez from Alderaan, who gets a little bit of characterization a few panels earlier. Unfortunately, unlike what we get in the Rogue Squadron comics, we're never going to give a crap about any of these pilots. Um, what we basically said a while back when we looked at the Rogue Squadron comics was that in the novels, we have a lot of reasons to care about the characters because we're given a lot of depth to them. In the comics, they didn't do that quite as well. But a lot of the characters eventually grow on you. Ib to Sam, Nurin Vakil, uh, Dlur Nep, uh, Plur, Ilo. These are characters that you grow to like and care about because of their banter, because of their actions in combat. We are given absolutely no reason to care about any of these pilots. In fact, aside from Tess happening to be with Leia at the end of this arc, you really don't see much of the others except for Prithy, who is less there as a pilot and more there as a piece of eye candy for Luke and to lust after Luke. These pilots mean virtually nothing. In the last issue, when Leia is brought back hurt, we see Tess Alder standing up on a railing looking down over the hangar bay with kind of a concerned look. And I think we're meant to realize that they're all worried about Leia, but I had to flip back and go, who the hell is this character who's over here looking concerned? Is that Mara <laughs> Jade somehow? Is that supposed to be Shira Bray or something? No, it's Tess, but you never were given a reason to remember her name very much, let alone what she looked like. Um, but we get to meet the group. They wind up having what amounts to sort of this era's version of a stealth X, these cool a prototype uh, black X-Wings that we never see again that have everything from uh, uh, better engines and such to the ability with the flight suits to have the astromech uh, control the flight suits and save you from dying by pressurizing and stuff like that. I mean, they are very advanced starfighters purchased with a whole lot of cash from the Rebellion 
and that's what they're going to be able to fly. So again, setting up some great things to come, things that get you excited somewhat, and we find that when Han and Chewie escape from Slave 1, they go to their final destination to make their deal, which happens to be the Belly of the Beast, Imperial Center slash Coruscant. Again, lots of things building up. Oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. In the way it plays out. The first two issues are very much set up, but it turns out to be much ado about not nothing, but very little. Yeah, once again, the art is what carries the comic. I mean, your first two-page spread where you see uh, the Slave One coming out of the uh, trash going after the Falcon, you know, classic Empire Strikes Back there, but, you know, it's a glorious image. Uh, You know, getting to what you said about the the rest of the squadron here, I mean, yeah, I was beginning to think, okay, is this going to be the now the new Rogue Squadron? Is this where we're going to go with this? Um, You know, I'm truly starting to become of the opinion that they could have took the last issue and saved that for the finale of the second arc. And what they should have ended this with is where Leia is all hurt and, and, and really reeling at any point at that moment. And they could have built up these other characters in the midst of that. Because, yeah, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know more about Piri and, and, or, or Prithi. And, uh, you know, the other guys, I, I honestly, after this one page, I pretty much forgot they even existed. You know, you're right. If Tess hadn't been brought up at all, I would have forgotten that there was anyone else aside from Prithi. <laughs> like, who? Wait, there's a whole squadron here? It's not just an elite crack unit of four people? Um, and I think that's the issue I had was as as it continued to go on and Wedge was less the veteran of the group. You know, it was like, wait a minute. At first they played it well, but slowly it just kind of got dialed down. Uh, another thing I did enjoy, though, was the, the take on the R2 units. Like, they all have R2 units, but like Leia's is R2, T4. Um, you know, granted, you could have a bunch of R2, D2s with other numbers look at whistler but you know i i'm big on that until i find out exactly what the uh, serial number looks like i'm gonna always be looking at that so but it, it's fun um again getting into the back and forth of han and, and chewy story versus luke and leia's when we get to the end that too feels weird because han's story just kind of like disappears by i think issue four and then they put like one scene into the last issue about it. And I, so as it goes, I'm kind of wondering if that's going to be more the focus of the next arc, or is this one's more land what's going on with the rebellion privy. Uh, and, and then again with Luke and, and, and Prithi here, I mean, are, is it supposed to be eye candy or is it supposed to be that there's a relationship there that Luke is oblivious to that, you know, one of those things where they've been going on dates and he just didn't realize it was dates and not hanging out with a friend after uh, work. Oh, just wait. That's going to explode in three. Are we ready for three? I think we can hit the jump. All right. So we move into the last issue of the first half as things are building up uh, with some oddities happening again. We see Vader finally arrive at Endor. And again, we see a giant superstar destroyer outside. So is it the executor? Is it or not? Is it not? Uh, that's apparently yet to be seen. We see a training mission in which Luke is sent to pick up Prithi as she is EVA, but it is a training mission. They are not in danger. On their way back, they decide to take the long route because when he saves her, she has to sit in his lap while they're flying. You know, hey, is that your flight stick or are you just happy to see me? And they decide to fly back the long way so they can have some time together. So we have a long flight ahead of us. Let's not spend it talking about Princess Leia Organa. 
to the point where when they finally arrive, helmetless and canoodling, um, snogging, is that the right phrase? Um, uh, (laughs) Leia basically suspends them each for six days, or six rotations, uh, because they've just taken so long that they almost sent out rescue people for them. Now, granted, Luke is a young guy. He's kind of an impetuous guy, but I never got the sense that he was this level of utterly irresponsible and snarky. Never in any of the characterizations we got of Luke would I have expected him to do this. I understand where they're going with it. They're trying to make him out to be someone who's kind of become somewhat cocky because of his victory over the Death Star, and repeatedly he says, you know, I'm the one who took out the Death Star. You don't need to worry about me kind of stuff. But really, it leaves me thinking, what? I mean, even to the point where whenever... Uh, Luke heads off to the briefing room to talk to Leia about everything. Uh, she kisses him on the cheek prior to heading out. It's just, it's over the top. As for Han and Chewie, we then join them on Coruscant, where they meet an unnamed, because nobody needs first or names at all, apparently, um, an unnamed contact there on Coruscant, uh, who's supposed to be there to sell them weapons. Turns out they've turned them over to the Imperials. Han shoots first. Blasting the guy in the back before the Imperials show up. It's a good thing his instinct was right. Uh, and they wind up basically stuck briefly in the bathroom as the Imperials are blasting away into the room. They have been betrayed somehow. Uh, we pick up with Leia scolding Luke, which it doesn't seem like it's something she wants to do, but she pretty much has to do. He gets a bit of a tongue lashing. And while they are grounded, the others are ready to go on their next mission. I find it interesting that when she sends Prithy to the simulators... Luke has already been told he's going to do the simulation, so he's not present. She is given a data pad, and when she looks at it, she's got this, yay, woohoo, kind of look on her face, girlish glee, that really, I had no idea what to make of that. I mean, I had to read it a second time to realize what is she so freaking happy about. She must have seen Luke's name or something. Otherwise, there's no reason for her to look quite as gleeful because they never really give us any other reason for her to want to be there. Uh, Leia goes out on their next mission. Again, looking for new bases and whatnot. Um, just a brief mission, sees some more combat. Uh, she basically, or not sees some more combat, she goes through some maneuvers that kind of push the envelope of her skills and whatnot. She goes back to Mon Mothma, and this is where the plot actually is developing. Um, and basically says, look, you know, we I want to do a test. I basically want to set a trap for this spy. Mon Mothma has not wanted to know the details of these missions to keep them classified and as few people in the loop as possible. And she's you know, you're fine, run a mission, here's all my login information, here's all my, my security clearance information that you need, uh, plant your information that you want for this supposed spy and carry out your mission. Everything will be fine. She asks, you know, well, what do you think about Prithy? Maybe there's something we missed in her background. And Mon Mothma puts it pretty bluntly, uh, but tell me, to whom is she a distraction? To Luke Skywalker? Or is their relationship a distraction to you? Oh, goody, it's shipping in Star Wars, and I don't mean carrying around uh, cargo from one place to another. We end the issue with Bircher giving a pep talk to his TIE pilots to get them ready to take on the Rebels the next time we encounter them. Unfortunately, we see the Star Destroyer and are not told that it's the Devastator. We see Bircher for the first time without his hat and not in a regular Imperial uniform, but in a red TIE pilot uniform. I gotta tell you, until later in the series where it's him in that uniform saying his name, I had no freaking clue who we were looking at those last two pages who was talking. 
I had no idea this was supposed to be Bercher. Since when does the captain of a Star Destroyer head out leading a squadron of pilots? So, he's Kirk! <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he is exactly that. He is, he is the impetuous, I'm going on the away missions, Kirk. And Luke is the womanizing, I'm going to disobey orders, Kirk, at this point. Apparently decided that, you know, it, w- it wasn't bad enough retreading so much Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness from previous films, which I'm not going to spoil at this point. We're going to s- bring some Trek into our Star Wars here, kind of the way they brought Star Wars into Trek for 2009. Um, so, it's, again, it's pushing things, but, you know, where are they going with this? And who is this Bircher guy who we've barely seen, who now all of a sudden is the crazy type pilot? He's this series' version of Soon Tier Fell, but we were never giving any indication otherwise to believe he was anything of the kind. See, I thought he was. I thought that was Fell at the end at first, because the same trap. I'm like, is that is that Fell or is that Bircher? I don't even know. And I at first I thought that that was that suit was actually a, a light, you know, like he was catching the reflection of light that it wasn't red. I didn't realize that until he just said that. I'm like, oh my god, you're right, it is. Uh, at the moment where Luke and and Pirthy, Prithy, however you say her name, get together, and she goes, I swear, Icon made these new cockpits even cozier. And when it was Luke's reply, I was just thinking the same thing. I mean, come on, really. That's so not Luke. <laughs> and you're right. I mean, the look on his face when they pull in. That's why, I mean, that that's the characterization there. When when they pull up and Leia's, like, chewing him out, the look on his face when they're in the cockpit and when she kisses him, it looks like Tycho. 100%. Oh, it does. It absolutely does. And I, and I got to tell you, way. when she said that, maybe this only went through my head, okay? Uh, I'm a cynical guy. Sometimes I like to think that I'm optimistic and 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 high minded, but I I can be pretty cynical. Uh, and she says, you know, I think they made these cockpits tighter. And my thought wasn't that it was, you know, oh hey, that's a nice come online for Luke. It was, how many times have you snogged in a cockpit, Prithy? What kind of girl <laughs> are you? Oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Should we be sending two one B to run some tests on you? <laughs> oh man yeah and, and, and you know again you get these moments where you get to see the rest of the squadron and some of them actually speak that aren't the main three so they got some some little lines there but yeah again there's that moment where she's touching on that keypad where you're like wait what's going on uh you know there there are moments like that off and on in, in a lot of comics where there's like one panel and you're like wait what does that tie in and this one, I'm I'm kind of I'm hoping to give you more on it because I, I really don't like having to guess. <laughs> I don't want it spelled out. Uh, I did like the fact that that we had the little flashback where uh, I took on the Death Star for you, Leia. Luke's words hung in her thoughts, and, and the old backer. It kind of reminds me. I, I believe you said the Magna uh, style. <laughs> it's just classic, but. I don't know. There's something sexy about Leia in her little dark X-Wing outfit. I mean, maybe that's what they were going for here. I, I don't know. But, I again, the art on this is just the stellar part. I mean, the art makes up for everything. I mean, the, the clone troopers, I'm sorry, excuse me, the storm troopers look intense. Uh, you know, Han and Chewie, when they're locked in the bathroom, I mean, that's a great moment. We actually know now that refreshers do have toilet seats. I've always wondered what it looked like. I mean, Serenity, you're able to see what their future bathrooms look like. Uh, you know, I mean, I, when we have uh, Demolition Man had the three, three three seashells. I've always wondered, did they have toilets? I mean, they talk about sandy showers and all this other stuff. But now I know they got a sink and a toilet. 
<laughs> that, yes, that was that was my favorite panel of the entire comic. That was so I was like, they're in the bathroom, they're in the refresher, there's a sink, there's a toilet. I wonder what that green ring around the toilet is. Is it a toilet seat or is it like butt pressure? And when you stand up, it automatically flushes. That's so awesome. <laughs> you know, as, as if that's not something that you know happens at Walmart. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, and then, and then inside the the Devastator, we see you know as you were saying, I said there was just one type interceptor. There's actually quite a few. You're right; they're all docked up in the wreck. Your fighters are the best of the best. The new interceptor models equipped with proton torpedoes, hyperdrive engines, and advanced shield, advanced energy shielding. The specs that meet or exceed that of the ICOM X-wing. The playing field's been leveled. I mean, I, I like where he's going with this pep talk. And they're all, woo, for the Empire, for the Empire. And you see all the extra TIE Interceptors. But as you see, you know, come later issues, what was the point of giving him command of that thing in in the first place? I mean, it might as well just made him the wing commander. Yeah, it was almost more just to get Vader off of the Devastator than to bring Bircher into it. Bircher himself, I mean, I guess he's supposed to be this brilliant tactician, and we're supposed to sort of think that what happens a couple issues down the line was this brilliant move of his, but since it's not really explained and you got to kind of sit back going, what the hell just happened and try to figure out what you just saw, it well, doesn't quite work. Bircher's dead. I mean, think about first issue when he, you know, he had his moment of, I'll be in command now, Lord Vader. And Vader's like, if you screw up, I'll kill you. I mean, that's pretty much what he said. So He should be uh, dead. Yeah, he's on borrowed time. Now, the other interesting thing about the first half of these is after issue three, the free digital copy dropped off. I was really excited about that. In fact, I I, I call that an error on Dark Horse's part because had they continued it all six, they'd have had me. If they'd have gone the whole first arc and I'd have, and I'd have redeemed every single one, I'd have continued. I would have gone out of my way to find a way to get the digital ones. But they dropped it off and I was like, I don't care. They almost had me. Yeah, I did find it odd that they would do it with the first three, but from what I understand, they're also doing the sketch covers, at least at first they had announced just for the first three. So, I don't know, maybe there's just something about, you know, the profit and loss margin on doing something like that for the three issues. Or they figured that, you know, if they can hook you with three of them, it'll draw you in for the others, which is, I think is kind of overboard almost when it comes to the digital comics. As cool as that was, you know, after three of them, we kind of expected it to happen for four, five, and six. But I use Comixology app a lot, and I do the Marvel Unlimited thing too. Um, and I find it, you know, kind of interesting that whereas most series, if they're going to do a free issue, it's usually just a free first issue or something, although not with you having to buy the physical comic too. They use that as a way to hook you into getting more issues. So it's kind of an interesting approach to say, here's half the story. You do have to buy the comics in order to get it free, but here's the free ones. Hopefully you'll buy the other ones. Hopefully you'll be a completist like many of us out there in fandom, uh, and you won't want to just have the three. You must have four, five, and six, and you know, you'll, you'll pick up there. Speaking of four, five, and six, we begin the second half with issue number four, where we pick up with Han and Chewie, oh yeah, arriving on Coruscant. And there's this great, again, well-drawn kind of dogfight, this pursuit, where they're going through the different levels of Coruscant, chased by some TIE fighters and such. Uh, for whatever reason, apparently they can't use the quad laser or something, so Chewbacca actually goes up out of the hatch and blasts at the TIE fighters with his bowcaster. Makes no logical sense why he would have to do that, but... Well, I was, I was hoping you had a reason. I'm like, man, 
the counter continuity's got like a this is broke from this this comic over here, but there's nothing to tie that together because I was curious too. I'm like, it, some of the panels almost looks like there's no cannon on the bottom. Like it it looks just like a mount for the cannon. Yeah, there's there's absolutely no reason that I could find for why he had to go up there and shoot with his bowcaster other than he wanted to look awesome so Carlos de Anda could draw it. Um, we get a brief moment where Admiral Akbar almost stops Gray Squadron, Leia Squadron from leaving because they're not on the books. Mamothma steps in and makes sure that they know that, of course, that this is authorized, but they're not to ask any more questions about it. Um, of course, at this point, Luke and Prithi are left behind on this particular mission. This is the last mission we're going to see them on um, because of their insubordination, uh, canoodling in the X-Wing on the way back and everything. Um, but then Luke is looking out as they leave. And you hear, Luke, Ben? Luke, beware. What? What is it? Ben, is it really you? It's Leia that's important, Luke. And as Luke is kind of questioning, you know, did I just hear that? You know, Leia, what's happening to Leia and such? Prithi walks up, and apparently the the standard garb for off-duty pilots in the Rebellion is orange prison jumpsuits. Uh, they walk up as if looking like they're in the cafeteria of a prison, and Prithi's like, where was that voice coming from? And what's so important to you about Princess Leia Organa? That's right, Prithi was able to hear the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes, she's You heard it. all that? I love, I love the farm boy look on his face, though. And it's just the, the, really, because it's, it's unusual because even when we have seen situations where people who are force sensitive are near each other, I don't recall us really often hearing anything about where a voice is heard through the Force and everybody hears it. I mean, it's not like when Yoda is meditating, when we see uh, Anakin kill the Tusken Raiders and we hear Qui-Gon's voice go, Anakin, no! Mace Windu doesn't knock on the door and say, you okay, dude? What was that? You know, it, we it's weird to think. <laughs> Leia starts voice... waving at her dad and uh, Obi-Wan and says, oh, look at this little Force ghost. It just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like, why is she able to hear this? Which I'm hoping they're going to address in future issues, but they leave the character kind of, uh, uh, in a position where it's going to be unlikely, but I'm assuming they're probably going to bring her back somehow. We get a one page panel, which I'm hoping is a clue about what's up with them constantly having this supposed spy in their midst and finding uh, themselves ambushed, where C3PO is trying to do some work for the, the squadron, and R2-D2 is in there trying to access um, the systems as well. C-3PO says... The steampunk uh, shot! I love... Uh, yeah. I mean, 3PO looks creepy, but they totally have a steampunk look to them. Absolutely. Another one of those great images here. Uh, C-3PO says, No, you may not access the data core. I'm under strict orders from the princess, and this is well above any security clearance you might possess. I don't care what Master Skywalker's reputation is. No, that is not Mon Mothma's override code I just entered. I don't know what's gotten into your ocular systems, but you are obviously malfunctioning. Honestly, who said you could follow me into this data facility? No, I will not vouch for you. Now, this may just be R2-D2 gathering information for Luke so they can hopefully go out there and help Leia. But I'm hoping that that was more designed to give us some sense that the droids somehow are unwittingly part of this issue. Because what we find is that Leia's squadron of her and Tess and Wedge and all those other characters we don't give a crap about, um, they head out and split up into three groups. Leia's group goes to the Pybus system, and they are immediately attacked by the Devastator and an Interdictor cruiser. 
And it's a big shock because Leia didn't give that coordinate to anyone. She didn't put it on the system for the squadron. It was only in her personal files. And yet, here they are attacking them. So either her personal files are cracked or, more likely, the Imperials have instead found a way to track them as opposed to it being a matter of there being a spy. They need to be able to go back and deliver that information, though. So, you know, a dogfight ensues and whatnot. Uh, Luke readies his X-Wing to go out there and look for Leia against orders and whatnot. Um, we briefly cut to the Death Star where Vader is getting a progress report uh, from the individual Imperial officers who are trying to tell him, you know, sorry, you know, this is not going to work as fast as it's supposed to because the Emperor isn't here. You know, the Emperor isn't present to see this stuff. And uh, if he's not here, it doesn't matter how great your reports are, he's not seeing the true reality of the situation, the true difficulties of the situation. So, of course, Vader, you know, kills the naysayer only for this woman named Bira Sia, not even remotely a play on Shira Bree or anything. Um, Bira Sia, this older woman, basically speaks up, speaks her mind, tells him, you know, what the dead guy said was right. This really is bigger than this. Um, and she is basically asking Vader to make her a temporary moth and put her in charge of the Death Star 2 construction project. This character that, of course, we've never heard of before, but fortunately, the building of the Death Star 2 isn't nearly as complex as that of the Death Star 1 in the continuity, so maybe there's room for this character to be in charge of it briefly after all, but it does seem a little bit bizarre. Um... Meanwhile, of course, the battle is continuing, and Leia, Wedge, and Tess, knowing there's no escape, decide to make their stand, charging at the Star Destroyer, firing proton torpedoes. Um, again, building up to this major battle, ooh, things are getting good, but they're not gonna stay that way. Uh, oh, and by the way, Han and Chewie are gonna have to continue their mission, too. Invader says Luke's name again. Well, Scott Skywalker. Skywalker. His name is Skywalker, of course, because he's all raspy because he's inside his meditation chamber. Uh, again, it just I I cannot say enough how much this art is just glorious. I mean, I I, I don't know, uh, Nathan has has this artist been around for a long time? I mean, is this like have I been looking at this guy's work before? I don't remember seeing stuff this crisp. I mean, I'm loving everything about the art, the, from the facial expressions on the people. Granted. It took a little bit to kind of uh, readjusting to what Luke and Han looked like. They looked a little bit different, but it wasn't that bad. It wasn't too far off of stuff I've seen in Rogue Squadron. But man, the the ships, all the details in the background, they're just all popping. I'm I'm absolutely loving where that's going. Um, you know, it, it was a fun chase through Coruscant for sure. Really weird with with Chewie pulling it out. I like the part though where Mon Mothma took over on the flight control and let the X wing flight. You know, she she kept it completely quiet, totally on on the under the radar aspect of things. You know, we see moments where you see the other pilots in Gray Squadron is what they're calling themselves. You know, talking to Twi'lek. She's talking to uh, Leia and stuff. But yeah, when we get to that moment with with Luke where he's pushing up against the uh, the window there and he's talking to Ben, I definitely hope we get payoff with that because there's definitely something going on with Prithy. I mean, I'm almost kind of thinking like somehow she's found a way to be the leak, but who knows? But getting to your comment about the uh, the prison jumpsuits, I have to wonder if that could be you, you could be very close to the truth. What if this is old cast uh, castoffs from Kessel? You know, like that's how the rebels got most of their flight suits was a bunch of old prison garbage or something. <laughs> I mean, 
Stranger things have happened. Uh, the scene, though, where, where 3PO and R2 are inside the data core, I like this because, you know, from a character standpoint, you know, you've got these two droids that most people tend to just overlook as characters. 3PO has just been upgraded with some significant military specs and access and authority. And the fact that R2 has come along and has just basically stole it, you know, I mean, he's like, no, that's not Mon Mosma's override code. Uh, thanks. That's just what you needed to give to R2-D2. Of all droids out there, the most stubborn, most nosy droid of all, this droid sat there and recorded every single camera on on uh, Dark Night, on, on Nightfall, on the uh, Order 66 night when the temple went down. I mean, this droid has got a morbid curiosity, and you just gave him Mon Mothma's code. Way to go, 3PO. Uh, and I, but the way it worked, it worked well. I mean, it played up, but it gets to that moment where, you know, the big chase here, I like this chase. When when they're all cut off, they got the destroyer and the interceptor or interdictor uh, chasing them, got them locked down. I really was enjoying the next four issues or next three issues. From here up to issue six when it wraps up really fast. I mean, four and five were the most intense of the entire arc. And honestly, I, I'm more of the opinion they should have ended at five, left this arc out on a big cliffhanging bang than what they did. For what it's worth, Carlos de Anda is not new to comics. He's done uh, Deathblow. He's done a lot of stuff, actually, for DC Comics Outsiders, uh, Batman Arkham City, uh, the digital uh, series, but not anything in Star Wars prior to this. And uh, I must say that with the prison garb there, it uh, you, you should probably be you know impressed that I didn't make an Aaron Hernandez joke. I'm just saying. Um, to say that, hey, it's his, it's next season's uh, clothing as we, or next season's jersey as we see uh, on Facebook constantly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This, it was building up, but it's after this that I think it kind of falls flat. It's like they spend so much time on how that battle plays out that they don't get any real resolution. And it's almost like Han and Chewie pretty much are forgotten um, in, in many respects. They need to be a major, major, major part of the next story arc, which they seem like they're going to be. So we move into issue number five, and issue five picks up in the midst of the dogfight, of course, and Colonel Bircher is out there in his TIE Interceptor in his red uniform. How do we know that? How do we know who he is? Because finally, he says, men, this is Bircher, at which point I went, oh, because now we know who it was that was addressing the troops. It was Bircher himself. And he's not actually on the Devastator. He's out there flying the squadron, which, again, is a little bit bizarre. Uh, they set some proton torpedoes for manual detonation, managed to destroy a whole bunch of TIE fighters. Uh, good strategy. Well-done strategy here. Uh, they managed to briefly escape. Well, that makes Bircher look like an idiot, though. I, I got to comment on that. I mean, because I'm looking at this going, this is a little confusing. I don't remember being that confused because he's like, he, he's like, you know, he says, this is Mercury. He goes, Let's show these rebels are not the only ones with advanced prototype fighters and hotshot pilots. And he just got done saying they have shields, but those shields didn't last. I mean, that, that's one issue I have with all the dogfights here. It's like the the proton torpedoes are blowing the crap out of everything. It's like, wait, what happened to shields on these ships? And it's almost never a regular proton torpedo shot because the way they escape uh, a little bit further into the issue is that Leia says, lock your proton torpedoes on me on my transponder. She releases the transponder when she gets close enough to uh, the enemy vessel, zips away, and they're set to only explode upon impact. So as soon as they hit the transponder, they blow up, and that's what takes out part of the interdictor enough for them to be able to escape. 
but it's, hey, let's launch them and use manual detonation. Hey, let's have it follow the transponder. They're going to do something like that again in uh, the next issue. And it just kind of feels like it's constantly, let's do it in a different way. But they escape to hyperspace, and this is where the, gee, what the hell just happened thing starts. Because amid all the explosions, we see what looks like a modified TIE bomber. And it jumps to hyperspace immediately as the others are. Now, I'm thinking the thing that is on it that's modified looks like a sensor package of some kind. But it zips away, and then as soon as they emerge from hyperspace, Bircher who's apparently far, far away or something, unless he I, followed I thought them too. it was Bircher. I'm like, how did he get into a... Yes, he, exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking he's in that TIE fighter. He's the one who chased them. But they get... Then they arrive, and he goes, detonate. And boom, there's a huge explosion. And it's not Leia's vessel that explodes, because you can see all three X-wings in the shot. So it must have been that either he's in that ship and followed, and they had apparently known where they were going to escape to somehow, so he set an explosive device there. Or he managed to put one on Leia's vessel somehow. Or he followed that other ship and the ship itself exploded. Or the ship followed and exploded and he didn't follow, but he was somehow able to trigger the detonation from the original engagement site. Either way, what happens on those few pages is not clear at all. The artwork is awesome. But there are several times where it's like they've left panels out in order to have these cool widescreen, you know, panoramic shots. And the story suffers for it. Because all we know is that they escape. A TIE bomber-looking thing jumps into hyperspace. They emerge from hyperspace. Bircher says detonate. Something explodes. And Leia's X-Wing is damaged. What exploded? Who the hell knows? It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense the way it plays out. It is not clear at all. Then we jump well, to and port. she's already damaged. I mean, w when they hit the interdictor, you know, the blast, you can see in the image that her X-Wing got tore up pretty good. Then already, she's already smoking and damaged. I mean, you know, the one thing I did like about that scene when the explosion goes off, like you said, you see her X-Wing, but Luke is screaming Leia, and from the, the angle where he's at, the explosion's flare blocks her. So he doesn't see that she's made it, whereas... Prithy or whoever else is with him Tess. would. It's, it's Tess. Yeah, it's Tess and Wedge. Not, yeah, one of those not, other interchangeable characters we don't care about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, it's easy enough to get confused, especially when they're not putting those little, you know, great rogue squadron little blurbs right next to each ship so you know who's in what. Exactly. Um, we pick up with Han and Chewie on Coruscant. And basically, they wind up in a cantina. They oh, that's Chewie? I thought it was a griffin. <laughs> yeah, it, I... I think that's supposed to be Chewie. Uh, his, the, the way they draw his face is a little bit weird. Um, they wind up inside this bar, this dive or whatever, and are approached by a woman named Perla who is there to help them for a price, but it's going to cost some serious, serious cash. Why? Because Bosk is there working with Boba Fett on the tail of Han and Chewie because of Jabba's bounty on Han's head and because of Darth Vader's offer, which is a little bit less on the Millennium Falcon, but which offers more possible opportunity. Which picks up with this amazingly gorgeous image uh, drawn of Boba Fett in action. Very cool, but we don't get to see very much of him. It's basically just, you know, a brief shot of him, and that's pretty much it. Turns out that Perla's big escape plan is, hey, I'm a sanitation worker. We're going to go through the areas of the sanitation process. Nobody thinks to look down here, so, uh, hey. You know, uh, how's about it? Uh, we'll just help each other out. You'll pay me. I'll get you through here, and everything will be fine. 
um, which is about where we leave the characters pretty much. That's basically their last real scene in this arc, minus some stuff in issue six that I don't even think is supposed to count. Um, Leia is in danger, so Luke and Prithy take off to go help, um, uh, following, hopefully, information that they got out of R2-D2 getting into the computer system or something. They wind up finding Leia. Uh, Leia's ship, or they go after Leia. Leia's X-Wing is incredibly badly damaged. Her R2 unit is helping save her life. She has a stomach wound of some kind. It's pressurizing her suit and everything, trying to stop the bleeding, um, which I think is actually kind of a, a neat thing. She orders the other two to head back and uh, deliver the message of what's going on, that they were being tracked. It's not a spy in their midst. Wedge and Tess refuse, which, you know, uh, is a great you know example of their uh, heroism and their camaraderie, not so great in light of how much of a deal Leia made in the last issues about following freaking orders. Um, <laughs> so it it sort of seems as though Luke is not the only one disobeying. Luke and Prithy are not the only ones disobeying. Um, we jump to the indoor system where we find uh, that he does give that moth status to uh, the woman who wanted to be in charge of the Death Star 2 project, and it ends with him basically delivering a threat Pray it is to his, that is the Emperor's satisfaction. Failure at this point will mean a fate from which neither I nor the Force can protect you. That's right. We've got Han and Chewie on the run through the bowels of Coruscant to escape Bosk and Boba Fett and the Imperials. We've got Leia endangered and her ship very much damaged along with a grievous injury to her. Luke and Prithy going off to try to find them. And we leave with the great cliffhanger of... Vader threatening the person in charge of the project pretty much the same way he threatens them in Return of the Jedi. And not and exactly Colonel the Richard issue one. I mean, yeah, it's kind of classic Vader. Yeah, I just it just does not seem as though it is really the 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 point of greatest conflict, the great cliffhanger that they would have used as the last page of this issue. This is an issue that ends, and you're like, what? It's done. That was I guess. It? I guess this is the start of where they started wrapping things up because it, granted, this is where the action got really intense, but there are a lot of missed moments. I mean, when Luke and Prithy are out flying around, Prithy goes, Luke, who's Ben Kenobi? And I go, how in the hell does she know that name? And, oh, and, does, she and doesn't goes, she say that she yeah, saw she goes, him? I saw him. And I'm like, wait, where the hell did she see him at? Like, wh where is half of this story? And <laughs> I mean, that's my only issue. I mean, by the end of it, when you get to the point where Leia is all beat up and, and bloody, I mean, that, that is a glorious moment. Not because I want to see Leia get all tore up, but because her life is hanging on the edge and it's the decisions she makes. And, and like how she's telling uh, R2 not to tell him that, or maybe that's in the next one, where uh, she, she's she knows she's hurt really bad and she doesn't want anyone else to know. And I, I like the issue of how, for her, so much hangs in the balance right now. You have, you know, her physical health, Plus what's going on with her in the rebellion, her as a leader of the rebellion and all that. Plus you've got Wedge freaking out. I mean, I, I just, I like the intensity of it, but there's so many missed moments that are just starting to happen right now. And it's like, okay, now we're going to get into issue six and it's going to wrap up so fast. You're going to go, what in the hell just happened? And I like the fact that Luke even says when Prithy is, is talking about having seen Ben, he's like, you know, I... I just hear his voice a few words from time to time. You know, I, I thought I was possibly just hearing things. If the only point of Prithy being in there was to say, see, this is how Luke decides he's not hearing things and actually believes that it's been, 
that's ridiculous. Because even in A New Hope, he apparently believes Ben, or that it is Ben, enough to turn off his targeting computer, etc., etc. It didn't seem as though there was a whole lot of doubt in that, and the Marvel series doesn't play up the doubt all that much. But you're right, that brings us into issue six, and it's like they've already given up on giving us a satisfying conclusion, in the words of Dark Horse when talking about invasion, <laughs> to this arc. It's like it falls flat. This issue basically is, okay... Um, you, there's a lot of tension. It's the Super Bowl. One touchdown will win the game. But all seems lost because the team you're going for, it's fourth down, and they have 85 yards to go. They're down by the other team's goal. They are screwed. But wait, there's the snap. The quarterback has the ball. He's passed all the defense. Oh my god, he could go all the way. He's at the 80, the 70, the 60, the 50, the 40, the 30. The 20, the 10, oh, he trips, there's dirt in his nose, and there goes the ball. That's basically what we just got. We went from a, woohoo, this is going to be good, they've built up a lot of stuff, to what the hell just happened, were your shoelaces untied. That's what we got. It looks as though Brian Wood was riding with his figurative shoelaces tied, and when he got to this point, he tripped over his own freaking feet and wound up on his face. This is the issue that, to me shows that this is a series that does not live up to the hype and did not need to exist. It's done nothing for the overall continuity, really, except possibly pose some big questions. It's given us outstanding artwork, but they could have used Carlos de Anda to do the artwork on something else that merits that level of awesome art. Oh, the hype yeah. merited the awesome art, but Another the story doesn't. Book. Uh, it, it, yeah, so what we've got, Leia is injured, um, and you think there's going to be more combat, like, uh-oh, they're in trouble. Something comes out of hyperspace, and, oh, it's Luke and Prithy. They've shown up, and Luke is going to go EVA and fix Leia's X-Wing enough that it can fly, but in the process of doing so, they're going to take the fusion exhaust reactors out of her X-Wing and basically toss them into space to where they think the Imperials might come out of hyperspace uh, if they were to still be able to track them. Uh, they get everything set. Uh, they slave Leia's uh, uh, Nava computer to the other X-Wings so that even though she's going unconscious, uh, it'll be able to you know, take her where she needs to go. Prithy senses that the Imperials are coming, so they need to get the heck out of there. The Devastator appears. Here comes Bercher in a TIE Interceptor, so apparently he was not already there when he said detonate. He was apparently not inside the tie bomber thing that suicide had bomb. to have a camera. That's got to be it. That he doesn't he, trust his pilots. That it was timed or something, maybe. And he was like, detonate, because he knew that that's when it was supposed to explode or something. Um, but the, the tie interceptors are bearing down on them. They fire off a volley of proton torpedoes and then head away. And Bertrand realizes at the last second that it's a trap because... What happens is, of course, that the proton torpedoes hit those reactors that they dumped, and kaboom, huge explosion. The Devastator leaps away in time. Some of the TIE fighters do, at least Bercher does, and the interdictor that arrives is damaged enough that uh, our heroes are able to jump to hyperspace. At which point, it's as if they basically said, yeah, that's it. It's over. Um, I'm a fan of Defiance. Uh, the game and the TV series. I like watching the TV series. I like playing the MMO out there. And there's something that's kind of become kind of a running gag 
with Defiance, which is that they do a lot of stuff with the characters and leave them kind of with some unanswered questions or leave them with something that we still need to see, like maybe a couple of characters reconciling, like maybe they were arguing and we need to see them put aside their differences because they've just been through something tough together. So, you know, now they hug each other or something. And instead of giving us a whole bunch of big scenes to deal with those issues, they deal with them in sort of a minimalist sort of way. They play some music, some really cool music, like a Come As You Are done by Civil Twilight, done as a very slow thing instead of Nirvana's faster pace. And just really, really good music. But about the last minute, minute and a half of every episode is music and sort of a montage, usually silent, of the different characters and where they are at the end of the episode. You know, they're looking at this item they've just procured. The characters are hugging so we know that they are back together again. Oh, this one's crying. That kind of thing. And it's like they took that approach with the entire last half of this issue, which is, oh crap, we've run out of action. We want to show where everybody is, but instead of actually doing much in detail with it, we're just going to kind of run through it as if it was a montage with music playing. So, we pick up with the Rebel fleet. Oh, look, Tess is looking distraught, looking down over where they're working on Leia's X-Wing. Oh, that's Tess. We didn't learn to care about her enough and see her enough times without her helmet to realize who that is, but yes, apparently that is supposed to be Tess. Leia is in a Bacta tank. Uh, she's been injured, of course. She's in basically a coma uh, at this point, a mild type of coma, while her body is being repaired. It's kind of funny because we also see Leia in her skivvies in a back to tank in another recent release or, or upcoming release. I'm not sure when this episode is being released of Beyond the Films, uh, but Crucible has a similar kind of scene briefly. Um, and Prithy just kind of walks out. It's Wedge and Luke worrying about Leia, and Prithy sees how much Luke cares for her and just decides to walk out. Um, i, I got to ask a question real quick to Beyonders out there, the females. What do you think of Prithy? Is this character just being assassinated as a lady, or is she... you hope for more? I don't know. It just doesn't seem to be much there, there. But at least she got more characterization than all the other new pilots added to the squadron, who got nothing just about. Um, we get a scene in which Mon Mothma debriefs Wedge and Luke about the issue, uh, lets them fully in on her confidence of what's going on. They're able to finally give her all the details that she at first didn't want to know about the process. Uh, this this scene confused me because it's kind of like, you know, she goes, I need to know how this happened. And I, I'm just like, uh, you shouldn't. You're the reason this happened. You. It's all your fault. She learned it by watching you. Yeah, but she didn't want to know at first. She wanted that deniability. And now she wants to know. She realizes that was a mistake. Um that she suggests, you know, Han and Chewie are missing with a whole bunch of money, a hundred million credits, uh, and looks like, are you suggesting they stole it? No, Han would never do such a thing. Of course he wouldn't, Luke. Um, so they're apparently trusting Han at this point. Uh, of course, to send him on the mission with that much money was a trust issue, but, you know, that him not being in contact means they may be vulnerable. They need to have Luke and Wedge perhaps look into this to try to find the spy, also figure out how they're being tracked, etc., etc. And to do this, she is going to let them use the main hangar. Uh, their cover is blown anyway because of how they came back all battered and kind of in an emergency. And Luke, you are now promoted to full lieutenant. And... Uh, Wedge, you are now going from lieutenant to commander. So we can see that step in their pro in their um, process of character evolution. At which I love point, how Wedge jumps right on. I mean, it's like not even a second as she said it, he's barking orders. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely uh, jumps into it pretty quickly. Uh, and then we get the last three pages, which really are where 
if it was already crumbling, this is where the crumbling finishes. Like if the if the eggshell of this issue and this arc was cracked significantly by the way that they just kind of zip through stuff here in the first chunk of this issue, it's the last three that just take that shell and let it crumble all to pieces and the yolk goes globbing out. Um, it's big on I guess, analogies and similes today for some reason. Um, we see a brief shot of Vader saying, in Hollow may the Force be with you, Beerusia, and her flying in a Lambda-class shuttle toward the Death Star, again with a Star Destroyer in the background, saying, thank you, Lord Vader. That's it. That's really all we get of that story arc in this issue. We see a one-panel shot of Prithi with her bag over her shoulder, apparently leaving Leaving home one, leaving the squadron, leaving the rebellion, we don't know, but she says, it's obvious you have feelings for her, Luke. Figure it out. Wow. So you got into this to fight the tyrannical empire, and you're leaving because of basically the boy you like has eyes for someone else, too, even though he was snogging with you. <sighs> wow. Prithi is a... It's like they went into the character meeting and said, her name is Prithi, let's keep it pithy. We're not going to give her much in the way of characterization. She is a one or two note character, that is it. And by the way, she will stereotype everything we've grown to hate about the way that characters like Bella Swan in Twilight are characterized. <laughs> as women who just can't make up their minds and are completely driven by their infatuation with other people, specifically young, attractive men, and they just can't deal with it. I'm waiting for the moment where we have in this Prithi caught in the middle and it's are you on Team Luke or Team Han? Oh my god. <laughs> it's a horrible characterization. Then we get one shot of Bircher. He's apparently back aboard the Devastator. Um, he's just back from the mission because he's still in his flight suit but he's taking his helmet off and now that we've seen him say his name earlier we know who the hell he is. Um, he says I want to see updated damage reports as they come in. Yeah that's it. He's back. Apparently, they're working on repairing things. Did we really need to see that shot? Um, not really. And all of a sudden, Han and Chewie are back in the cantina. Or this is a flashback where uh, Pearl is saying, Hush, Solo, sometimes a girl just needs a little silence. Okay, wait. Weren't they inside the waste area having left that place last time we saw them? Or is this a yep. different place that looks exactly like the previous place? What's going on with Han? We don't know. That's all we get in this issue other than what my Mothma tells to Wedge and Luke. And we end with Leia uh, basically with a breathing mask on, laying in a hospital bed, flanked by C-3PO, R2-D2, and Luke. Luke has a jacket over him and is asleep in the chair. C-3PO is actually looking over Leia, and it looks like it's, he's supposed to be holding on to maybe the edge of the bed, but that's not where his hands actually wind up, so it's an awkward pose. And R2-D2 seems more interested in looking at the audience in the last shot than actually Prithy. looking at Leia, because for he's some reason... He's watching Prithy leave. Yeah, he's watching Prithy leave, that's what it is. <laughs> no, he's... That's what's happening. R2-D2 is seeing Ben Kenobi. <laughs> we just don't know that yet because of the angle. That'll be the first panel of the next issue, which, by the way, will not... The, the strongest thing this series had going for it was Carlos de Anda. He is not back for the art on the next arc. Although the guy who Are is coming me? in... The, the guy who is coming in is Ryan Kelly, who does some really good artwork, and the, the preview shots we've seen look pretty good for the next arc, but Carlos de Anda, he's not coming back in issue number seven, the yeah, highest point of the series. That That is very discerning, because, yeah, the, the highest point, I mean... Dude, this guy raised art and comics to a new level for me. I, I really like the the look of everything. 
I mean, you know, going to the first panel again with Leia all tore up and bloody. I mean, it looks really cool. And the attention to detail again. First time I see where the maneuvering thrusters on an X-Wing are. I, I mean, d- that was exciting for me. I am a big fan of Battlestar Galactica, the remake, because when they had their little emitter nozzles that would flip those ships around, I've always been like, what do what those look like on the X-Wing? I now know. Thank you. Due to the art. Uh, but, you know, we get that moment where she's talking to the droid and, and uh, she asks the droid, you know, thanks for keeping it on a private channel because she pretty much thinks she's going to die. You know, and I, I like how that has been building up. Again, I think that that would have been the better place to have left off with that moment of everything's all in, I don't know, and, and let this second half where Luke shows up and fixes everything, that should have been the beginning of the next arc. I, I really think that's where they dropped the ball here. Um, but again, getting to these, what are they doing with the photon torpedoes that are causing these things to be so dang explosive? Why aren't they arming everything with this? And and getting to Bircher, I mean, you just went head-on against these three X-Wings. Now there's two more of them, and you're going to take a bunch of Interceptors again and go head-to-head with them? What kind of moron are you? I mean, this guy needs to be shot and taken out by Vader himself. He is a complete tool. I, I just That's what I don't understand. I mean, it didn't work the first time, and now they got more ships at their disposal. You're going to try it again. Idiot. Just plain old idiot. Um, at the moment when that thing blows up, though, and you're just like, whoa, what's going on? Uh, you know, there was a moment there I thought the Devastator had actually got destroyed. I didn't realize it jumped out. Uh, the fact that the, the Interdictor was taken out by it, though, that really, I don't know, man. That that just, that really throws me off. I mean, all you need is one or two of the engines off of an X-Wing and a couple of photon torpedoes, and you could take out Star Destroyers and Interdictors and entire fleets. Why weren't they setting booby traps all over the place? I mean, that seems like a perfect guerrilla warfare maneuver for the Rebellion. Uh, but yeah, once we get to that part where, you know, they're about to jump and Wedge has a, a blind jump planned in and then Obi-Wan jumps in and he's like, uh, Luke, trust your instincts, Ben. And he changes it by five. He goes, uh, everyone change coordinates five degrees or two degrees to five, five. And then they jump and you're just like, wait, what's going on? I don't know that that was the the, the complete loss point for me. After that, I was just like, what in the hell is going on? from there to the end. And by the time I got to the end, it left a very foul taste in my mouth. Everything up to that point was building up great. I was loving where we were going. And then it was like all over. I'm like, what? wait, dude, there's not even any toilet paper or scrub brush in here. What the heck? Uh, you know, the, the images are the only thing at this point that has saved the, the comic. I mean, you know, when we get to the point where they're getting promoted, Luke and wedge, you know, but tell me, she goes, uh, I've read the reports, Lieutenant Antilles. You are, as always, clear and concise, but it does not tell me why a princess of Alderaan and the figurehead of the rebellion is in Bacta therapy. How? Yes, the report tells me that much. But why? Why was she in this position? And again, it gets back to, you put her in this position. You, you, you were like, yes to everything. I just. I don't know her surprise. And then of course, you know, wedge goes, uh, forgive me, ma'am, but uh, it's my understanding that this is classified by your orders. And she like dot, dot, dot. You're right. Of course. And she's got like even surprise lines up by her head. I was fully updated on the mission details. I knew the risk that Senator Organa was taking. I was unprepared for the consequences as is evident to me now. Like, what? Who writes this? Did George come in to write this scene? I don't, I don't know. It was just so weird. And then, of course, you know, Wedge jumping into the role of commander 
the only thing that, that concerned me was like, okay, now we're, we're treading real close to this could be the first rogue squadron again, because he goes, we have, we have a squadron to put back together. Luke, you and Prissy are restored back to active duty. I mean, so he's already building a squadron again. Um, that's how rogue squadron came back when he was rebuilding red squadron. Although now he's rebuilding red gray squadron, but, I don't know. I, I have to agree with you in the aspect of this comic is looking more and more like it just wasn't needed. They could have made this a Rogue Squadron story and set this anywhere and it would have worked. I mean, by the time you get to that last two panels, you know, Prithee's moment is obviously sitting there. It's the other side of the next page with Luke and them sitting there. But by putting it out the way they did, it doesn't make sense. Vader's stuff just thrown in there. It, it's all in there. Han completely, I, they should have just left that out there altogether. There was no reference of his character or anything going on or any ships or anything of that like. They should have just left it completely out there. By bringing them back into a cantina, yeah, like you said, it, it completely confuses everybody at the end. And you're just like, what is going on? I think the problem here is they bank so much on that whole let's let's bring new people in. And and, and it's a constant thing. You know, I'm always talking about how, how fandom is about circles. Same thing when it comes to this advertising scheme. They love pointing the gun at the newbies, the people that have no idea beyond the first three films. And by first three films, I mean four, five, and six, the original trilogy. They're, they're aiming for them. Why? Because they've got the sequel trilogy coming out, and they want to gain that, that hype back up. They want to get those people that hated the prequels back. And this is aimed at them. This is their way of saying, hey... Uh, yeah, you know, when we, when we bogged everything down and then, and then we didn't pay attention to our own continuity because Lucas wasn't paying attention to continuity and we kept trying to make it work, but it didn't quite work. Well, now we're going to just say, oh, forget it. And then we're going to still play the game. Like it always is ran. And even though we said, we're going to forget it, we're going to try really hard and still botch it anyway and say, oh, well, at the end of the day, nothing has changed, but they went out of their way to make it seem like things changed. And all it did was created a, a sit storm in fandom. Uh, I don't think it was a good gamble. I don't think it worked. At the end of this story, this, the ending was such a flop that as powerful as the beginning was, the ending was equally powerful of a flop. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, nothing could have lived up to the hype that was generated for this new series. I mean, nothing could have. It was Phantom Menace Syndrome. Uh, everyone was expecting something outstanding, either outstandingly good or outstandingly bad. What we got was something that was kind of run-of-the-mill, uh, except for the artwork, of course, and something that just... It, it, it's weird because it almost it reminds me a lot of Prelude to Rebellion, and we talked in there about how if you're gonna start off a new Star Wars ongoing series, which is what this is, um, you really need to do it with the bang, and you need to really nail that first arc. And how Prelude to Rebellion didn't really feel like it managed to do that in creating that solid starting point for Republic, and it was sort of fighting against that for a while until it really kind of got its new identity when the Clone Wars erupts, and. This is sort of the same thing. This is the arc that needed to be the one to prove this was a series that needed to be done. This is awesome. You're going to enjoy it. Um, not only just for the longtime fans, but of course for those new fans they were trying to bring in. I think longtime fans are thinking probably the way that we are, which is, well, that was good art, but what are they doing? Where are they going with this? I hope that this is the beginning of a broader arc that by the end of maybe the next arc or the third, it'll all come together and we'll look back on it thinking it's much better than it actually turned out to be so far, at least the way that we feel about it right now. But I feel sorry for the new readers. There is so many times in this story arc where it's easy to get lost. Hey, look, it's a character in a red flight suit. Is that supposed to be Bircher? Don't know. I haven't really seen him without his hat off, so we're not quite sure who it is that we're looking at unless we're supposed to recognize him by his jawline. 
Uh, or, oh, what in the heck is going on in the last few issues of issue six? It seems like they're skipping stuff. Wait, did the Devastator jump to hyperspace? Or is it just all of a sudden gone because it got blown the heck up? There are so many times when they seem like they've taken shortcuts with telling this story to fit it into these six issues that I think someone who is maybe not new to Star Wars, but who is new to comics, if they really did what the hype was all about and brought in new readers who aren't into comics and weren't into Star Wars comics specifically, and that they are now picking up comics for the first time maybe with this, I think they're going to be lost. I think they're going to confuse the hell out of those people, and they have not just brought in new readers. They may have sold a ton of this arc. I don't see a lot of people who didn't read comics before who picked up comics for the first time with this coming back for the second arc, because this arc... I agree. Would have left them feeling unfulfilled and probably confused by the way they handled so many things being left out. It hit all the, the confusing points when it comes from one page to the next. I mean, I, I know that for most newbies, if you can't track, you don't know what's going on. I mean, I know when I'm reading a Marvel, the hardest time I have is when it starts going from the left page to the right page instead of going all the way down the left page then going all the way down the right page. Because sometimes you'll have that where it starts on the top bar and it'll go from left to right. And then it'll go down the rest of the left page and then down the rest of the right page. And then sometimes it'll do a back and forth and you're like, wait, what is going on? Occasionally you'll get an editor that's really good at putting little boxes in and stuff to kind of you know give you references or like this is a, a reference to this event or things like that. That would have been helpful in a situation like this. I mean, where is an editor like that stepping in in the Dark Horse side going, you know, and this is a reference to, you know, w like when Vader says Skywalker, they could have easily put a little star going referencing this comic and that event. Uh, you know, little things like that could easily made it a little less confusing. Uh, Prithy and Luke, their whole relationship or whatever's going on between them and her and the Force. I mean, that, that's like a whole nother flashback is missing. And if that's how they plan on doing this ongoing story and, and continuing to give us some flashbacks to this first part and fleshing it out more, if that's a plan, maybe it's going to work. But honestly, I, I, I give Dark Horse a, a lot more credit than they're ever due. I mean... They're not going to come up with a plan that creative. No, they're just going to say, oh, well. Yeah, I think the next story arc needs to take place on the planet Ord Cialis. Because they tried to bring Brian Wood into Star Wars, but unfortunately, the Wood did not quite meet expectations. <laughs> what? I'm just saying. Ord Cialis. We got Ord Cestus one. Ah, whatever. It works. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. This was a series. I was... Dreading and excited for it at the same time. Dreading it, heading into it, excited for it when I started to see um, some of the artwork from it, and certainly excited for it once we saw the first issue and saw that art really in action. But I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful that the series is going to build from here because we've seen series that begin with an imperfect first arc build and become better. But I don't know. And I don't know if they have time to do it. With, you know, only a couple of years until we're supposed to see Episode 7, and who knows what's going on behind the scenes with, with uh, uh, Marvel at this point, because Disney owns Marvel and all that. I, I don't know if they're going to have time to build this to where it needs to be to make it feel like this first arc and the way it ended was what it should have been. Um, I don't know. I guess I can just kind of sit back and cross my fingers that we'll feel better about this arc two years from now. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that the ending flopped so badly because th that really did take away from the overall enjoyment. Uh, up until, you know, they jumped out and Luke did the 
change degrees two to five five and they jumped and all of a sudden we're back in the rebel fleet that moment sealed it for me it was like once all that jumped out i just lost care of all the intensity i i mean it had me my heart was gripped i knew leia wasn't gonna die but i was like whoa dude she's pretty messed up her ship's pretty messed up and they had the struggle of how they were going to get back, and then all of a sudden, just nothing. I was just like, "Really? That's ah, that's just a that's just a shame, right there." Uh, you know, and and hearing that the artist is not going to be back on the next one is another bummer. I hope they they are smart and they reel him in for another project. There are some great things going on. I'd love to see him in the new legacy because right now I'm not a fan of that art style at all. Um, you know, let him go over there so I can at least have something really good to enjoy because the story on that's not really enticing me either. But, you know, you're right in the aspect of when it came out, I was trepidatious. Where could this go with them talking the way they were with continuity? It's like, oh, great. Here comes another. We don't care about the fans that have been reading this stuff for a long time. We're just aiming for the newbies that don't know nothing. And then we'll turn around and we'll forget what we made today and we'll aim at something new tomorrow. I, I hate that model. And, and the story was making me think, you know, they're doing something great here. And then. That end just was so anti-satisfactory that I could see him closing it right now and, and going the route of invasion, saying, now we're reached a satisfactory conclusion. Don't worry, don't worry. We'll be told to just ignore this story anyway when they put out Star Wars Volume 3. True that. Uh, anything else? Nope, I'm good. Let's jump to hyperspace like whatever the hell that TIE bomber-looking thing did. <laughs> <laughs> Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing the fandom. Remember guys, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Our episodes are also available on iTunes, and we always encourage you guys to leave us a review there while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes both on Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms. Or you can just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Even no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Not only do you post comments to us about the show, we also love interacting with you fellow fans. And if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or if you want to fire off about a past episode, you can also email us at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you, our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you can get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. With more than 100,000 titles, you can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you just did not like. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the screen or adding a digital library, Audible just might be right for you. And of course, if you want to check out some of the stuff that my wife, I can't say fiance anymore, my wife and I have up for sale at the moment, you can check out uh, Amazon.com slash shops, that's shops plural, slash Lil Joe Collectibles, L-I-L-J-O Collectibles, all as one word. The newest stuff she put up there was a whole bunch of uh, old vintage Barbie stuff still mint in the packages and such. Um, and be sure to check out the Star Wars Timeline Gold's Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SWTimelineGold. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll ever be given a reason to care about those other pilots. 
they're just gonna say, this is a new continuity and we're gonna roll with it. Hey, do you have an ID for that whistle? We don't need to see his identification. Okay.